Hello. Thank you for listening to us today. So my name is Kelly Lewis, and uh, this podcast today is going to focus on masculinity and how the media has kind of affected the way that um, we relate to men or how we see men and masculinity and boyhood and all of that to violence, specifically gun violence. Um, so to discuss this, uh, I am talking today with David McDonald, the chaplain here at ONU, and um, he has also noticed some of the kinds of things that I've been seeing in society around masculinity and gun violence. So for today, um, we're, we've looked at some studies and some research around adolescence and gun violence, as well as some mass shootings like Columbine, which so happens today is the anniversary of Columbine. Um, so we'll be using that as our focus for conversation. And um, today we hope to talk about why or the kinds of things we see in mass media around gender and how it's reported in the news with all of the gun violence that happened. A couple questions that I have is uh, to focus around is uh, why do you think that the media shows men as more violent and why is it that women don't commit mass shootings? All of those kinds of things. So if that is something that interests you, stick around and listen to us talk about it. Uh, uh, I've been talking to David a lot about um, gender and issues, especially since the um, Parkland shooting that happened back on Valentine's Day. And so one of the things that I brought up to him is um, a Twitter thread that I found by Michael Ian Black, and this kind of brought up this discussion for me. So before we talk about it, I just figured I'd read this uh, thread just to put us in the right mindset. Sounds good. So uh, it says... Deeper than the gun, vi- the gun problem is this. Boys are broken. Until we fix men, we need to fix the gun problem. In the last 50 years, redefined womanhood. Women, women were taught they can be anything. No commensurate movement for men who are generally locked into the same rigid, outdated model of masculinity, and it's killing us. If you want to hurt a man, the first thing you do is attack his masculinity. Men don't have the language to understand masculinity as anything other than some version of a caveman because no language exists. The language of masculinity is hopelessly intertwined with sexuality, and the language of sexuality is hopelessly intertwined with power, agency, and self-worth. So men and boys before that don't have the language, the language for modes of expression that don't readily conform to traditional standards. To step outside these norms is to take a risk most of us are afraid to take. As a result, a lot of guys spend their lives terrified. We're terrified of being viewed as something other than men. We know ourselves to be men, but don't know how to be our whole selves. A lot of us, me included, either shut off or experience deep shame or rage, or all three. Again, men are terrified. Even talking about this topic invites ridicule because... It's so scary for men and women. Men are adrift and nobody's talking about it and nobody's doing anything about it and it's killing us. So, yeah, I think that just kind of inspired me to like um, look at the gun violence problem differently. So, as a man, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's a a powerful statement and when you forwarded that, that thread to me, I was really palpably affected by it because I, I, it was saying a lot of the things that I've been thinking, but putting it in better words than I ever could. <laughs> and so I was really pleased to be able to have somebody who was sort of saying the things that I was, have been thinking for a long time about how these instance, incidences of violence are um, related to the, the topic of masculinity and how we have related masculinity with violence for so long that that has um, done damage not just to women and to um, you know children, but to boys and men mm-hmm. um, particularly. So. I thought it was interesting. Uh, I think as a feminist, like we often talk about how women are limited to certain roles and women uh, aren't able to be seen as like someone higher, but like there's still like the limitations of man. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what mm-hmm. really stuck out to me about this. And um, when he continued, he um, continued with an opinion piece in the New York Times. And so I read that too. 
I, I think it was just interesting that he kind of pointed out how there's no model for grieving or there's no model for being weak, mm-hmm. um, which I, I guess I never thought about the limitations that comes with being a man and uh, stuff like that. So what do yeah. you think, especially as a father, what do you think about those limitations and yeah. I guess how you deal with them having a son? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, he says powerfully, um, boys have been left behind where girls have had this great movement over the last 50 years or so of, of empowerment mm-hmm. that he says there's been no commensurate movement to navigate toward a full expression of boys' gender. Um, we have, uh, we don't know what it means to be a man, so mm-hmm. to speak. So as a, as a father, it really strikes me because I see, um, the way that we raise our son in relationship to the kinds of um, interactions he has with boys from other families when he's at school or on the soccer field or in the scout troop. And it's very difficult uh, as a parent, I think, to try to raise a boy outside of those gender norms because he's, he's at home for, you know, eight hours in the evening and a couple hours in the morning, but then he spends the majority of his life right now in school. (laughs) And so he has all of these other influences Mm -hmm. um, from the other boys. And, you know, one of the things that um, we've dealt with as a family is um, how, what's, how is it appropriate to um, express your feelings? Mm -hmm. Um, It's okay to cry. It's okay Mm -hmm. to be upset, to show emotions outside of anger. Mm -hmm. But, our son struggles because yeah. when he goes to school and, and is with his friends, really the only emotion that men are allowed to express, that boys are allowed to express, is anger. Mm-hmm. And so everything becomes subsumed under this angry persona that develops. Yeah. So we struggle with that as parents, and we struggle against that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's got so many other influences besides just us, especially now that he's a teenager. Yeah. When he was a, when he was younger, we had a little bit more influence. <laughs> now that he's a teenager, it's sort of like we're beginning to hear ourselves being tuned out. So, yeah. yeah. Along with that, that um, reminds me, we both watched a um, documentary mm-hmm. on Netflix. It's called The Mask You Live In. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you want to watch that, I definitely encourage it. But uh, one of the things that was on there was they talked a lot to children, mm-hmm. which... Uh, when I think of masculinity, I don't often think of children, um, but kind of they talked about the development from uh, kids being boys and this idea of being called a sissy on a playground. I think uh, one of the people on that documentary talked about um, if you want to cause a fight on a playground, uh, go up to the boys and ask which one of you are a sissy and they'll either all point to one or they'll all point at each other and it'll probably end up with one guy running away crying. Um, and, or with violence. Yeah, yeah or with, with violence. to try to prove his masculinity. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah. so I just thought it was interesting, especially as they talked about the shift between, like, middle school, boys will talk about how they have these close friendships with their best friends, and then as they transition into, like, high school and teen years, uh, they kind of lose this ability to express themselves, um, and... Yeah, I just—it was so sad to see. Yeah, and there's been a there's been a uh, parallel to that, you know. So that's developmentally, it mm-hmm. happens from middle school to high school. But there's been a parallel to that in our culture, where at an earlier point in our history, men were very effusive about their relationships. They were with with each other. You know, the men would be seen with their arms around each other, sitting on each other's laps. You know, hugging. Um, they would use these, these wonderful, you know, flowery words about each other, about, mm-hmm. about their love for each other. You know, you read some of the, even the founding fathers, some mm-hmm. of the letters that they wrote to each other are sound almost like love letters. Yeah. Um, but there was some point in our history where we moved away from that and to be, to be, uh, in an, in an appropriate male relationship meant that you couldn't have any kind of sense that you were homosexual. Yeah. And so that stigma, which sort of comes around in the late 19th, early 20th century, Mm -hmm. um, really changed the way men interact with each other. And I think that's now happens developmentally. It's sort of gotten developed into our way of raising boys that it's okay when you're little Mm -hmm. to be emotional and to have really close friends that you might hug and Mm -hmm. hold hands with. Mm -hmm. But when you reach a certain age, it's seen as being 
homoerotic now. Yeah. And we're and, and because of the way that we gender boys and the way we talk about sexuality in our culture, that's taboo. I mean, the worst thing you can call a boy is gay. Yeah. Uh, or a sissy or, mm-hmm. you know, any of the other words that are associated with that. Mm-hmm. And along with that, um, in the thing, I thought it was interesting. Like, if um, there was a whole section where they were talking about, like, this homophobia kind of mm-hmm. in... Um, in high schools where they would go like, I love you, no homo. Mm -hmm. Or like, Mm -hmm. I like, we're good friends, no homo. homo. Like you're having to add on the no homo as if that is an assumed thing. If you show Mm -hmm. any kind of emotion. Um, and along with that, um, in the early part of that documentary, they had this activity that they were doing with, um, some, I think they were like high school boys and they were say they had literally a mask Mm -hmm. and, um, on the outside they showed, how they portrayed themselves to the world while on the inside they showed like this kind of pain um, that they're no longer allowed to show once they get into high school. And then later, because um, I had watched the first half and then later I watched the <laughs> second half and then last night I watched the whole thing. Um, but later in the documentary, it says that like at this, this same developmental point, um, which changed with history, but the same de- developmental point where uh, boys are no longer allowed to talk about their emotions. That's the point when suicide rates for boys go way higher than yeah. for girls. Yeah. Um, there was a chart where I think it was like three times the rate of girls. Three times the rate when they're teenagers, and then when they're in their twenties, like, five to seven times the rate. Which yeah. I had never like thought about or anything like that, but I thought it was really terrifying. Mm-hmm. And then also the idea that um, masculinity is also tied to like guns and hunting and all that kind of stuff and so I've read a lot about how men when they commit suicide are often more successful because they will use a gun and so it's just really really sad that um, there has been this part in our society where men can no longer talk about their emotions and then they feel so overwhelmed and upset that like they lead to suicide Mm -hmm. and also another interesting point was the the men who were in the prison um, in the documentary, there was, I think they were in the prison since they were juveniles. And so they talked about growing up, they like talked about literally not having this ability to express themselves and feeling overwhelmed and feeling confused. Mm -hmm. And, um, there was one guy, um, who he ended up getting involved with drugs and stuff like that. And he said like the only moment that he felt power was when he shot a guy six times. Mm -hmm. And so I just, it's so sad. <laughs> it's things that I've just never thought about that are coming out in um, this mm-hmm. research. Uh, the interesting thing I, th- I found in, in The Mask You Live In is um, the, the guys that they interviewed in the prison mm-hmm. um, were largely, and this is probably no surprise to you or to anybody listening to this, were largely non-white. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure that that wasn't because they chose them that way. That was a good sampling of the, the prison population. Yeah. And so it, it, it's, it bears witness to the fact that more black men and men of color are mm-hmm. incarcerated than any other part of our population. Mm-hmm. But this, these school shootings like Columbine, yeah. like Parkland are, are performed by white males, mm-hmm. um, and are seen in a completely different way Mm -hmm. than the kinds of shootings that the men in the prison in the documentary. So they were talking about, you know, um, uh, their, their crimes were much more like crimes of passion or crimes of in the course of committing mm-hmm. other crimes. So yeah. like their violence was the one guy talked about, you know, being hooked on drugs and, yeah. just, and getting into the drug culture, those kind mm-hmm. of things. Um, the, the school shootings that we're seeing when we talk about those, we tend to talk about those in terms of mental health. Yeah. And that's the first thing that's brought up when there's a school shooting yeah. is, Oh, this, these poor mentally ill young people um, or we talk about it as um, they're they're the outsiders, the outcasts mm-hmm. that nobody likes, that everybody yeah. picks on. Why is it that that we talk about them so differently? So it's mm-hmm. not just masculinity now; it's also about race. Yes. Which, when you think about the way we've constructed race and gender in this country, there's sort of this hierarchy where white men are at the top of the 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 pool, um, and then it just sort of goes down from there, and and each successive. Um, you know, strata that we have in that gendered and racial uh, construct 
um, we think of as more and more violent and less Mm -hmm. and less as human. Yeah. 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 Um, that kind of leads into, uh, the, the other, um, one of the other articles that we read, um, it's called Boys, Masculinity and School Violence, Reaping What We Sow, and it's by Sandy White Watson. Uh, so it, it starts off with just this list of school shootings Mm -hmm. that have happened since 1997. Um, it only goes to 2006, which obviously is, as anybody who's listening to this would know, is not a complete list. There have been so many mm-hmm. things that have happened. I think in the Mask You Live In, it said since Sandy Hook, there's about around one school shooting a week. Yeah, there's so, been 20 this year. We just had one today, in fact, oh in Florida. So it's obviously a problem. <laughs> and um, this kind of goes into it more later in the um, other article that we read. But right after that list, they talk about how uh, when the public reacts to these school shootings, we don't talk about how... Um, or they, we don't talk about gender mm-hmm. because they're all all of these school shootings that they list in here are committed by boys or men of some age, but um, we don't talk about like their gender. Instead, we talk about them as like monsters. Mm-hmm. And if it was a girl, then we would obviously talk about gender. Yeah. Um, in fact, there was a shooting at the YouTube headquarters that was committed by a woman. It's barely been talked about, but the only times that I've seen it talked about, it's talking about, oh my gosh, it was a woman, not a boy. So, um, and then it even does, it does go into uh, a little farther down, um, talks about like, if it was a black man, then they would talk about race first. So I just think it's interesting that uh, there are certain things that we'll talk about with anyone else, but with white men, we don't talk about gender even though that's the commonality, mm-hmm. it's not, um, yeah, well, and yeah. it's, it's, it shows the privileged position, obviously that white men have in our culture that in order for us to believe that a white man could commit a crime like this, or a white boy could commit a crime like this, we have to create him in the image of a monster. And that's mm-hmm. what this article is saying. You have mm-hmm. to, he has to be so deviant, so outside, so on the edge of, of normal society that we have to apply that to him. We can't, because we can't face the fact that it's it's because of what he's been taught mm-hmm. as a boy. Yeah. And if you look at the example that are cited in many of these articles, that of the Columbine shooting, yeah. which is the sort of the big, the first one that we yeah. all kind of focused on, even though there were ones before that and since, that's the one that we kind of focused on because it was so huge at the time. When you look at that, you see this pattern over a period of time of, of the two shooters um, being... Uh, emasculated by their peers and even by the culture at large being told that the way that they dress, the way that they, the, the things that they're interested in, the, the kinds of uh, relationships that they form with other boys mm-hmm. are all wrong. Yeah. And so we do that over and over and over again to boys. And then when they commit crimes like this, we are so shocked that we have to create them as a monster because we can't see our own culpability in that. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, one thing that I also noticed in this this article specifically, um, there was a section that was talking about like the boys versus girls, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, not identifying that there's an obvious difference there, mm-hmm. or not an obvious difference, that there is no difference. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. Just the way we talk about it is different. So um, it says, and we are blaming the violent acts on these boys on the acts, easy accessibility of guns or the lack of parental supervision the culture of a peer group exclusion and teasing or the prevalence of um, media violence, even though girls have the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're exposed to the same accessibility to guns. They're exposed to the same media. um, They have the same peer group exclusion and teasing and the lack of parental supervision, but they're not the ones bringing guns to school. Mm -hmm. Um, So like even, even with the peer group exclusion thing, which does happen with masculinity, um, it's different with girls because it's not so focused on being like, there's so much connection between being a boy and being violent. Mm -hmm. Um, even from the point or like from the beginning of Mm -hmm. boys, uh, when, when someone finds out that they're pregnant with a boy, they treat them differently than with a girl. If we look at, um, gender reveal parties and there's Mm -hmm. like guns or pearls or like Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. So even before we're, they're, we're born, mm-hmm. we're connecting guns to men and feminine things to um, women. Yeah. And Well, and one of the things we've talked about before is how the gun in American culture specifically is the ultimate phallic symbol. Mm-hmm. You know, the, it, it, 
can you think of a more uh, apt image for a male you know, penis other than a, <laughs> a, a rigid piece of metal yeah. that inserts violently into mm-hmm. another person's body. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the sort of construct that we've developed around both sex and mm-hmm. gun uh, culture in our, in our society mm-hmm. that um, we've tied those two things together. And it's, it's also interesting, um, the um, gendering of a, of a person before they're even born. Yeah. Because... I have I have noticed that um, in in more recent times that these with the gender reveal parties and those mm-hmm. kind of things that this has become a bigger thing. Mm-hmm. I think of like when I when my kids were born. Okay, yeah. so we're mm-hmm. talking about sixteen years ago. So <laughs> not all that long, but also a, a long enough time ago. Mm-hmm. When my kids were born, we chose specifically not to find out the gender, even though that was becoming popular at the time mm-hmm. um, with ultrasound technology and all those kind of things. So what we did, what we ended up doing was we didn't buy clothing or decorations for the nursery that were one gender or the other yeah. because we didn't know what we were what we were having, mm-hmm. and. I think there was something of that in in previous generations as well. Like when I was born and when my parents were born, certainly there was no way to tell the gender of a baby before they were born. So a lot of that stuff happened afterwards. But now we've placed so much emphasis on this because of the technology that exists Mm -hmm. that we've placed so much emphasis on um, these images. But it's interesting that even the way we do it is girls, uh, if they are a tomboy... Mm -hmm. Um, that's something that's celebrated now. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always, but yeah. it, now it is. Like because of the the positive strides we've made in the feminist mm-hmm. movement in this country, girls are celebrated if they do if they exhibit traits that are typically mm-hmm. masculine: mm-hmm. Um, climbing trees, scraping your knee, you know, even shooting guns. Yeah. Um, boys, on the other hand, if they do things that are traditionally seen as feminine, are not similarly lauded and so there's this sense of it's okay to give a baby girl a football Mm -hmm. but it is not okay to give a baby boy a a doll yeah uh or or a stroller or something Mm -hmm. like along those lines you know that that it's a girls have a much broader range in which they can exist and boys have a much more narrow range in which they can exist which is a weird thing to think about when you think about a group of people who are so privileged Mm -hmm. to think about them being limited to the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're you really are um, you don't want to feel sorry for them. Yeah, but like <laughs> but at the yeah. same time you almost have to because yeah. it's but, but it's it's one of those things where it's like um, unless a person later in life can claim that and understand that and then and then be able to say I I accept or reject this based on this these criteria. It's it's really hard to blame a twelve year old boy for just following along yeah. in the footsteps of what everyone else has has been doing for generations. Yeah, um, I had made a note in this article mm-hmm. about uh, boys. You start with the uh, the toys that are handguns or knives mm-hmm. or stuff like that. Um, and then, uh, we teach our sons to be aggressive, competitive, and unemotional. Mm-hmm. Boys are, um, envisioned as being mischievous, rowdy, and rambunctious. The whole boys, um, will be boys thing. Mm-hmm. And then, um, it continues with, like, the teenage years. So, a teenage boy is often obsessed with himself, sports, cars, sex, and above all, being cool. And, um... Being cool means boys break the rules and challenge authority. And so I made a note saying, like, in feminism, at least, like, a while back, we've come a long way with feminism, but I felt like for a girl, like, challenging authority would be seen as a bad thing, Mm -hmm. where for boys it's seen as a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I could just kind of find that interesting, like, kind of like that limitation of if you don't challenge authority, like, what's the problem with that, I guess? Um, And just kind of the things just the way that society is teaching men to perform their gender in a certain way because that's I mean that's what gender is it's a performance Mm -hmm. and um I think just some of the limitations around like and I wonder if a part of the whole masculinity thing is you're supposed to like cars Mm -hmm. um but and when girls like cars it's often seen as different yeah oh yeah like to um like know a specific car or to like the Mm -hmm. way that a specific car is or like liking racing or stuff like that for some reason those like cars I don't think in themselves are (laughs) gendered Gendered, but for some reason we've made them gendered because 
I don't know, boys are supposed to be mechanics or something. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and even if you think about the um, uh, the way that's portrayed in like cartoons and things. I mean, you think about Cars, mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah. Um, what are the boy cars? They're yeah. fast yeah. or they're big or they're powerful. And the girl mm-hmm. cars are cute and mm-hmm. small mm-hmm. and, you know, you know, kind of, you know, fun and all those kind of things. But, but there's a difference that even there. But I, yeah, I think that could be said about so many other things too. It's not, and, it's not just cars. And it could if be, like, yeah. if a girl is into that, then mm-hmm. she's seen as like the outlier, not mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. it's not like, ex- and it may take her a while to be accepted into mm-hmm. that culture of liking cars. Right. So like right. if a girl shows up to a car show, um, not with a guy, mm-hmm. like there for herself, yeah. that may see, be seen as, weird Mm -hmm. but also on the other hand if a guy were to show up at like a fashion show Mm -hmm. by himself he would probably be seen as gay which is also seen for some reason as a negative which it shouldn't be so and i also think it's weird if we're talking about like dichotomies or whatever Mm -hmm. um that like when a woman is more quote-unquote masculine Mm -hmm. then she's not seen as like also gay Mm -hmm. But it's only the other way around. Yeah. yeah. So I think that kind of shows how women have um, expanded their language around mm-hmm. sexuality and gender and stuff right. like that, um, where um, men yeah. are very... Obviously, if you show anything that's on a feminine um, mm-hmm. spectrum, then you're also... Your sexuality goes along with that. Yeah, yeah. The only time that I think that, that it applies to women is when you have a woman in a, in a movie or, or a television show who's obviously butch. Yeah. And it's being played for comedic effect. Yeah. That's when you find... So I think of, like, um, the character of Boo on... Uh, a big Boo on Orange is the New Black. Okay, yeah. She is very obviously butch. Yes. And, and it's played up for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, she wears suits and mm-hmm. and acts like a man and all these kinds of things. And it's played for the comedic effect. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when you see that playing out somewhat. Yeah. But even so, um, it's seen as empowering for mm-hmm. her and mm-hmm. not as making her less than even uh like i've cut all my hair off before mm-hmm. no big deal mm-hmm. um but even when a girl talks about cutting off all her hair mm-hmm. like that's kind of a big deal but when she does it it's often praise like oh yeah. you look so good mm-hmm. or like i can't believe you did that how confident like mm-hmm. but if a boy grows their hair out um i think i saw like a, a little boy grew his hair out to donate it mm-hmm. for like cancer mm-hmm. and people first thought that he was being gay. Yeah. Just for growing his hair out. Yeah. So I think just definitely there is some talk that needs to happen. <laughs> um, along with that, I think about boys when they're younger. Often, mm. uh, this is specifically about sports. Um, the writer, uh, Sandy Watson, mm-hmm. talks about when her son wanted to be in uh, karate and mm. she mm-hmm. was able to see like kind of um, how adults are showing young boys how to perform their mm-hmm. how to perform their gender uh, so like one thing that I highlighted it says I was shocked to see that two male instructors regularly and publicly shamed the the boy students anytime they seemed to display anything less than what they the instructors thought was quote masculine behavior mm-hmm. so I just think it's interesting that like not only in children do they tease each other but then also the instructors themselves mm-hmm. will force that on um, boys. And that doesn't end in childhood, but like yet continues into um, going back to the documentary. There was a, a guy who talked about how um, like the very insulting and very mm-hmm. derogatory terms that coaches would use mm-hmm. to uh, get boys to work harder. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. And it's a mask for, for their own insecurities, mm-hmm. I think. Um, mm-hmm. I think that men do that and boys do that because we're afraid that if we don't, we're going to be seen as being effeminate or gay. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's sort of like strike first before they hit you. You know, mm-hmm. like if you can call somebody else a sissy mm-hmm. uh, first, then that means they're not going to do it to you. Yeah. Um, and so we sort of play this game where, where it's like, I don't want people to see me as being effeminate or gay. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to be as hyper-masculine as I can and accuse other people of that because mm-hmm. then it builds me up mm-hmm. and makes me look more 
quote, masculine. Yeah, you know? and that kind of goes on with this. It says um, that... So when the writer, Sandy, uh, went and talked with other uh, parents, because the instructors encouraged three students to attack one student because he like got in trouble in school or something like that. And um, it was so bad that at the end of it, the one, the one student that was um, being attacked uh, was sobbing and could hardly breathe. Mm-hmm. And the father just watched, um, the father of the guy that was being beat up. Mm-hmm. And so when the author asked other parents what they thought, they said they were a little disturbed, but they supported the teachers and felt the training they provided for their sons was necessary and beneficial for their son's transition from boyhood to manhood. Mm -hmm. So kind of this, uh, that kind of shows me that this uh, uh, idea around masculinity has not only been um, like formed in the kid through high school or whatever, um, but also is still in the adult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the adult hasn't been changed yet, mm-hmm. and then they pass it down to their sons. Mm-hmm. So, uh-huh. I don't know. Well, yeah, it, it's interesting when they talk about their transition or their passage from boyhood to adulthood because, you know, let me put on my uh, pastor hat here for a <laughs> second and say um, I think our culture has lost its rites of passage. Mm-hmm. Um, we What rites of passage do exist are in... in select communities like the Jewish community with bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah, mm-hmm. um, Christianity with confirmation in the, mm-hmm. in the, you know, baptism and for, for some, uh, uh, groups, but we don't have a culturally acceptable way for either boys or girls to, to come of age. Mm-hmm. And so there's a couple things that I've seen. One is that young people will go out and go out and create their own. So for a lot of people, getting your first tattoo at the age of 18 is the new rite of passage. Mm-hmm. Has been for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, for some people, it's even later when they say having your first drink at the age of 21. Mm-hmm. Smoking your first joint at whatever age. You know, mm-hmm. those are the kinds of things that, that are passing as rites of passage. Yeah. Um, and so we've lost the depth that exists. Not to say that there can't be some depth in doing something like getting a tattoo, because that yeah. might have some personal attachment to it. But we lose a lot of the depth of reflection, mm-hmm. because a lot of people don't reflect that deeply on, yeah. on these rites of passages. Yeah. So, you know, where I, where I see hope is in communities that are developing appropriate rites of passage that have not nothing to do with this kind of violent reaction, mm-hmm. but with everything with... A traditional rite of passage, which is um, that a, a young person enters into what we would call a liminal space, a space that's in between mm-hmm. childhood and adulthood, and mm-hmm. they emerge from that in a, as a new person. And mm-hmm. in a lot of traditional cultures, they even receive like a new name or yeah. a new identity in the community. Um, and I think we need to encourage those kinds of transitional passages. Um, or we're in danger of creating a, a further generations of people who have no sense of rootedness in their community. Mm-hmm. They just simply feel like, well, whatever I do is appropriate because nobody can judge me. Um, and it creates this environment where people can just sort of do whatever the heck they want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then so. kind of along with that, um, with like, so in my uh, psychology class, We've talked about, I took adolescent psychology and we talked about how um, as puberty has began to come earlier in um, the progression Mm -hmm. of time Mm -hmm. and um, all that, but like the period of adolescence has extended because there's no, there's none of that rite of passage. There's none of that kind of, um, I think something that needs to be along with that is especially for men, like having this development of. Uh, like learning that gender is performative and learning that you can have um, more of the the quote-unquote feminine traits. Mm -hmm. Um, But adolescence has extended because no one uh, feels like they're an adult yet. Mm -hmm. Even I like know some of my friends as I prepare for graduation, they say like they're afraid of going into the real world, but like we're like 21 and 22. Mm-hmm. We should, <laughs> we, we've been in the real world, real world for a while. Yeah. We've been living on our own 95% of the time. And yet we still don't feel like adults. Yeah. So, um, I think along with that is like learning more about the, the definition of gender and like how to learning to have feelings because I don't, I don't feel like an adult should still have to be restricted to these really, mm-hmm. um, limited mm-hmm. roles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, 
kind of to transition back into conversation about <laughs> gun violence. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that uh, I also have in here is it says if the general public has yet to recognize um, that we should be questioning why boys are turning our schools into killing fields, it will probably be extremely difficult to convince them this the behavior is a direct result of what we've been teaching to our children. Mm-hmm. So because we're not teaching people to have that development of um, their idea of gender or like how they how they can have feelings, mm-hmm. um, then we're not addressing the fact that boys are going into schools and shooting people, and mm-hmm. that's something that we need to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that goes along with this idea of adolescence and. Um, because like, especially in like high school or primary school or whatever people call it, Mm -hmm. um, we don't have that conversation around gender and then also around sexuality, um, because that's not required in all schools and it's not required to be, uh, full education around that. Um, we are not fully seeing the whole picture in media, uh, when it's reported on the news because we're not having this conversation about gender in high schools, then we're not addressing the, the genderized idea around this. Yeah. So, well, and I think it all, again, it goes back to the limited scope that we allow for boys because one of the things that, that going back to my experience as a parent that we have tried to do is to do things like, you know, they have these books now, like the dangerous book for boys. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my wife got me one that's called the art of manliness. You know, they're, they're trying to reclaim a masculinity that's not, that's not defined by being macho, but yeah. it, but is about you know doing things that that are fun mm-hmm. and that can be you know a little different mm-hmm. you know um, so you know I think about the fact that that our culture has become so urbanized and so suburbanized yeah. that we have lost the aspects of like boys and even girls going out into the woods and just sort of tromping around, yeah. building a fire, mm-hmm. cooking over a, a, an outdoor fireplace mm-hmm. and those kind of things. You know, those are the kinds of skills we've been trying to teach our son mm-hmm. because that allows him to channel some of his interest and his energy into interesting things that are nonviolent yeah. that he doesn't have to, to see, you know, excelling on the sports field as yeah. being the only thing that is the determining factor of mm-hmm. his manliness, you know, yeah. that there are other things. And, and among those things are treating people with respect is yeah. one of the things you have to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how to, how to present yourself in a way that shows respect to other people. So even the way that you dress in, mm-hmm. in the world, you know, having respect for other people comes down to, I want to look my best as a, as an individual, mm-hmm. either male or female. I mm-hmm. want to look the best that I can, um, so that I can present myself in a professional manner. Mm-hmm. And it's not proving my worth through my, you know, my muscles or my ability to, to hurt someone, yeah. but it's proving that I can take care of myself. Yeah. I can groom myself. You know, these are things that we emphasize with girls a lot, but mm-hmm. we don't emphasize with boys. Yeah. And so there's just sort of this, this thought that, you know, we want girls to be made up and put together, but boys can just walk around in track pants and a t-shirt mm-hmm. and everything's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's then, not okay. We need yeah. to be teaching boys the same kinds of skills that we're teaching girls. Mm-hmm. So. And then um, also along with this, there's mm-hmm. at the end of this, this Sandy really likes lists, but at the end <laughs> she has a, a list of uh, masculine sayings mm-hmm. that are on t-shirts. And uh, it kind mm-hmm. of pointed out to me like how we allow boys to be seen as vulgar, even mm-hmm. in the clothes we wear, mm-hmm. or I guess they wear, I guess what parents allow their kids to wear as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the sayings are like guts is good. Balls is better. Mm-hmm. A true test of one's courage lies not only in the heart, but directly between one's legs. Life is a contact sport. No scars, no proof. No such thing as unnecessary roughness. (laughs) Balls, a.k.a. cojones. You you should have several, preferably brass or steel, extra large. So just like the way that we allow men to um, show that in the world. It's interesting that half of those are about testicles yeah like I don't understand the Why? yeah I don't understand how we relate what is actually the most sensitive part of a man's body with his masculinity I like I don't get it yeah, yeah. um the, I've seen like on uh, trucks some men will put like balls on their yes. trucks um, 
And I just don't, those are things I just don't understand about, like, displays of masculinity. Um, well, I think it has to do with dominance. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing when we talk about rape culture. Rape isn't about sex. It's about mm-hmm. dominance mm-hmm. and it's about power. And mm-hmm. so having big testicles or mm-hmm. a big penis or whatever mm-hmm. is seen as, as a dominant trait. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one way that boys will dominate each other is to, you know, show your junk mm-hmm. off to the other guys and show that you've got bigger and better and put it in their face, you yeah. know, those kind of things. I can remember as a college student, that was something that guys regularly did. Like, I don't, you know, for, for people who are obsessed with not seeming to be homosexual, guys whip their junk out a yeah. lot at yeah. each other. And yeah. it's just really interesting the way that we connect that mm-hmm. with, Dominance yeah. over other people that that the male genitalia is seen as something that should be used for domination and not as a functional part <laughs> of your body. You know that's that's used for for lots of things, both good and bad. Yeah. But you know, or or mentionable or unmentionable, however yeah. you want to put it. But mm-hmm. but it's just interesting because we don't do that with women's mm-hmm. genitalia yeah. or or women's bodies because women are seen as the ones to be dominated. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you dominate another guy by showing him your penis, mm-hmm. it's actually putting him in the place of a woman. Mm-hmm. And this goes back again. I'll put my pastor hat on and say <laughs> in the Bible when it says you know when it talks about homosexuality, particularly in Leviticus, one of the things that says is that a man should not lie with a man as he does with a woman. Mm -hmm. It doesn't just say man shall not lie with a man, period, but he shall not lie with a man as he does a woman. In other words, Mm -hmm. a man shouldn't dominate another man Mm. through sex. That's what that passage, which is often misquoted Mm -hmm. to be about, to be against homosexuality is actually, is actually portraying this ancient gendered role of Mm -hmm. saying, don't treat another man the way you would treat a woman, which would be to degrade him and make him like a woman. So that's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, kind of along with the whole, uh, sex thing. I remember in the masculine, especially at that back half, that back half was rough. Um, but it had like these, uh, like just, uh, statistics and it was uh, like 20% of men, uh, if it, or it was more than that. I can't even remember. Um, but if, if they knew they wouldn't get in trouble, they would rape a woman. And so I just thought that was just so, Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of that like domination thing and yeah. also in the masculine um, one of the better parts of it um, mm-hmm. or the more hopeful parts I should say uh, there was a, a guy on there who was with his son uh, his name is Jackson the mm-hmm. son's name is Jackson I can't remember what the guy's name was but he was talking about um, when he first became a father he was really nervous about it and uh, but he was separated from the mother and said like hey if you want me to I'm just, I will raise him mm-hmm. and um, he did and one of the things that he does with his son is they have like uh, daddy Sundays mm-hmm. and they have like a, a box where they leave notes and they're very sensitive. And uh, he said that his son asked him once like dad or said to him once like dad, I'm sensitive. Mm-hmm. And so his dad had to look up how to be sensitive <laughs> because he, that's just not something he was taught. Yeah. Um, and so I think like those kinds of things like teaching boys that they don't have to be dominant but can be sensitive and can have those uh times where especially with a father-son relationship um where they can express the more softer sides of themselves the sides that for some reason society says are feminine and um you know actually have feelings Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah and then well to go back to the idea of gun violence i wanted to uh end by talking about columbine which is it's ironic that we chose today to record this, and yeah. it just happens to be, uh, what, the ninth anniversary? 19th. 19th, yeah. sorry. Numbers. It was while I was in college, so <laughs> yeah. I remember it. The 19th <laughs> anniversary of Columbine. And um, so I chose to look at this article because, it, well, for one, it specifically looks at how the news looked at Columbine. Mm-hmm. And uh, the title of this article is The Monsters Next Door, Media Constructions of Boys and Masculinity, and it's by Mia Consal- Consalvo. Yeah. And so it starts off with these titles of um, headlines that appeared in newspapers after Columbine, and it says, Death Goes to School with Cold Evil Laughter, Trail of Mayhem, Columbine Plunged into Nightmare of Bullets and Blood, and The Monsters Next Door, What Made Them Do It, and then just Why. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I just thought that this article was really interesting because it talks about um, not only do we not talk about like men as being sensitive, but in this case, we refuse to talk about them as men. Mm -hmm. Even though it was two boys, uh, we don't talk about their masculinity, but rather choose to uh, separate them from their gender and make them monsters, Mm -hmm. which are um, colloquially colloquially inhuman. Mm -hmm. Um, So obviously not gender. (laughs) Yeah, or, and I think she makes this point further down in the article, or we talk about... um, uh, video games as being yeah. the cause. Like, we'll come up with a whole list of things yeah. that could be the cause of gun violence except for gender. For some yeah. reason, that's the one that gets left off the list mm-hmm. every single time. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. And it's weird because, like, like we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. girls who are tomboys um, and interested in uh, mm-hmm. more manly things, are, like, there are girls who like violent video games mm-hmm. and still they're not, like girls who are shooting at schools. Yeah. Uh, so, well, obviously, a, yeah. this is the correlation. Yeah, here. as an example of that, as we were watching, I watched The Mask You Live In with my kids, mm-hmm. mostly because I was watching it and they were sort of coming in and out. So they didn't sit down with me and watch the whole thing, mm-hmm. but they watched parts. And my daughter, who's 16 years old, sat down and said, she, it was during the point where they were talking about video games, mm-hmm. and she said, Dad, I don't want you to worry that I'm going to commit gun violence because I, I play video games. Mm-hmm. And I thought myself to my head, I didn't say it to her, but I thought mm-hmm. in my head, you. I don't worry about you because yeah. you're a girl. You yeah, know? Yeah. That's that's not something that we expect mm-hmm. that a girl is going to do, even mm-hmm. if she does play the video games. Mm-hmm. It's not that I expect it of my son yeah. either, because that's not the way we're raising him. But mm-hmm. um, it's just interesting that that you know, I, it almost like she, it, it went without saying that I didn't expect yeah. that she was going to do that. So, and I know. think like part of that is uh, it's not. I guess, like, even... So you said you don't expect that of your son, Mm -hmm. but I think even for parents who have sons Mm -hmm. who commit these things, they don't think, Mm -hmm. oh, you're playing uh, violent video games, you're obviously going to shoot up a school, Mm -hmm. but, like, after the fact, we make up these excuses for... Why did they do this? It couldn't be because the father taught them to be really tough, or yeah. it couldn't be because he was bullied. Well, I mean, like, yes, the bullied yeah. thing does come up, mm-hmm. but um, it couldn't be because... Um, He's not talking about his feelings or mm-hmm. et cetera, mm-hmm. but instead it's because video games or because yeah. something else. It's easier to assign blame to those things, mm-hmm. especially if they're inanimate objects mm-hmm. or if they're sort of ethereal concepts rather than to blame it on something that we can actually do something about and that we have the most impact on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think particularly for parents either parents of the boys who commit these crimes or just parents in general, Mm -hmm. there's sort of this feeling like, I don't want to acknowledge that I may have had something to do with this or that I might have be an influence on Mm -hmm. my kids that Mm -hmm. way. And so it's easier as a society for all of us who are parents to just kind of agree ahead of time on a shorthand that Mm -hmm. we're going to say it was video games. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're not going to talk about the gender thing because then that implicates you. And if it implicates you by extension, it it implicates me as well. Mm -hmm. So Um, so another thing that's in here, uh, it talks about like how uh, this especially reminds me of the Parkland shooting, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of that after effect. Mm -hmm. Um, It talks about like how after like a shooting will happen, the media will um, emphasize some things and ignore others. And then they'll create this focus on the different kids who, who, oh no, they could be next Mm -hmm. and how that kind of creates a pressure on them, Mm -hmm. which I think makes it worse. Like, I don't think that makes anything better to say like, oh, we need to watch out for this kid. Mm -hmm. It just makes them um, seem like a potential threat rather than a person. So again, like by taking gender out of it, instead of making them more human, you're kind of making them less human because you're making them this thing you have to be afraid of rather than. Yeah. And I think some of that was uh, reflected after the Parkland shooting when there were students who a month later wanted to have walkouts. Mm-hmm. There were people who were sort of really viscerally re- rea- reacting to that and saying, don't walk out, walk up. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, walk yeah. up to the students who are picked on and those kind of things. And the response that I got from the kids who were walking out, my daughter was one of the leaders at her school mm-hmm. who, who walked out. Um, was look, we we are the ones who are also walking up. It's mm-hmm. not like we're it's mutually exclusive, mm-hmm. um, but the ones who are most likely to stand up against gun violence in our schools are the kids who are, who are on the edge, yeah. <laughs> who are on the margins. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the kids who have no um, concept of this because they're so 
quote normal mm-hmm. or they're normed, yeah. you know, the, the, the football players, the, the girly girls, those kinds of people mm-hmm. who are sort of at the center of high school life, yeah. they're not going to be the ones who are walking out mm-hmm. because they don't have to. Yeah. It's the ones who are, who have the most to lose if something like this were to happen, yeah. who are, who are reacting to gun violence in this way. Yeah. And that's not to, I mean, that's, that's painting a big broad brush. So I'm not saying, yeah. you know, there's there's probably jocks and and yeah. girly girls out yeah. there who are part of this movement as well. Mm-hmm. But by and large, I think we we kind of stereotype and say that these kids who are the loners, mm-hmm. the kids who are on the edge, the kids who are involved in in things that are atypical of a high school student like, mm-hmm. you know, role-playing games mm-hmm. and Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. and rent Renaissance festivals and those yeah. kind of things. Those are the weird kids that we need to watch out for. Well, mm-hmm. the kid who's the, the star quarterback might also be yeah. in just as much danger mm-hmm. um, and needs to be helped just as much. Yeah. And so that's where that, that argument breaks down. I, I think, think so. and along with that, when I was seeing stuff like that, my, immediately, my immediate thought was, okay, let's say if the people who are walking out do walk up, but that seems ingenuine. Mm-hmm. Like if mm-hmm. uh, I know that somebody for some reason thinks that I am a potential threat in the school because that's being portrayed everywhere and they suddenly start talking to me and suddenly want to start being my friend even though they were not my friend before then it's seen as ingenuine. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's this weird, like, middle... Mm-hmm. You, We need to start caring for people, mm-hmm. but, like, I think it starts with just not being a jerk in the first mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. And I guess uh, just reaching out to people in a way that doesn't seem like you're pitying them mm-hmm. or that you're afraid of them because yeah. that's no way to start a friendship. Yeah. Like you should start a friendship with someone because you genuinely want to be friends with them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's okay. I'm not saying that you shouldn't walk up to people that other mm-hmm. people have identified as being a threat, mm-hmm. but I think that it should be done in a way that's not temporary or mm-hmm. um, like limited, but instead is like, I am, I see you and I want to be friends with you um, because I'm interested in you, not I see you as a threat and so I'm going to be your friend for now and then once the threat seems done with then I'm going to just leave. And in an odd way, I think this is all related to the construction of masculinity Mm -hmm. because if you are, say, a popular boy in your high school, um, it makes much more sense for you to make friends with a kid who's weird after something like yeah. a Columbine or a Parkland shooting than it does on a day-to-day basis. And so we're mm-hmm. still setting boys up as being wanting to be the heroes who step in and mm-hmm. and and change these violent, weird mm-hmm. kids into suddenly mm-hmm. popular, you know. It's that mm-hmm. the whole Disney movie genre yeah. where you take the girl's glasses off and you make put makeup <laughs> on her and suddenly she's yeah. a princess, you yeah. know. Um, it, it happens in these kinds of circumstances too. We think, well, if, if the jocks and the popular kids would just make friends with these weirdos, <laughs> then we wouldn't have to worry about the weirdos. Yeah. And that's it's playing right into that that masculinity construct mm-hmm. again because now it's it's norming the issue of being a masculine, jocular kind of person mm-hmm. and not saying, we don't need to make friends with these weirdos. We just need to stop calling them weirdos. Yeah, yeah. We need to say that it's okay for them to be who they are as much as, as it is okay for a typically masculine boy to be who he is. Yeah. And I think until we can address that, this is always going to be coming back up to us. Mm-hmm. We're going to have this sort of white knight syndrome where mm-hmm. we want the, the popular kids to ride in and and be friends with the weird kids, and then mm-hmm. suddenly all of our issues are going to be solved. The mm-hmm. other thing that I think this does, and this is not related so much to gender as it is to just society in general, is it's victim blaming. Yeah. To say that you should, you know, that that if you see something, say something. If yeah. there's a friend, if or if you see somebody uh, who is on the edge, make a friend of them, or they could become a killer. Those kind of things. It's it's blaming the victims and saying it's their responsibility, mm-hmm. and not the adults who are actually there to make that. Yeah community work you know the adults are the adults and the kids are the kids and we are expecting kids to do things that adults should be doing but the adults can't do it because of the way we've set up our educational system and that's probably another (laughs) podcast for another time yes (laughs) yeah Yeah, I think also this kind of heroic idea of um, men or popular guys coming in and like saving Mm -hmm. the unpopular guys Mm -hmm. I guess Um, it's interesting how that's in like uh, it's it's in movies and it's like portrayed to kids as like something you should do, but yet like we don't have you don't have like a, a so on here it says like there's 
this um, idea of masculinity that's portrayed in media, but, like, you don't have a nonfiction idea of that. Mm -hmm. And so there's, like, you're not showing kids, even if you Mm want to have the whole hero thing, Mm -hmm. you're not showing kids how to do that in real life. Rather, you're just showing it in a fictional uh, scripted way where you yeah. can't it's not something that, that doesn't work yeah. you have to <laughs> yeah. because other because then it just feels like you're doing it because you want to help someone rather than or I'm like not you want to help someone but mm-hmm. you want to stop them from killing people I guess yeah um, yeah, yeah. It, we, we don't live in a world where everybody's in a band and lives in California <laughs> and all of our problems can be tied up in 30 minutes yeah, you know? yeah. 21 minutes with commercials mm-hmm. so uh, you know we, we live in this world where things are messy and we have to negotiate things and I think um, what we what we need to to be doing um, and, and this is probably leading us into our next podcast <laughs> yeah. but I think what needs to be addressed is, um, allowing kids, boys and girls, to find out who they really are. Mm-hmm. And this is a question that in theological terms we might call vocation. Mm-hmm. Who are you being called to be? Mm-hmm. And live into that. Yeah. And celebrate them for doing that and not try to push them into something that, that doesn't fit for them. And so that might mean for some boys that they are into cooking yeah. and sewing and some girls, it might mean that they're into sports and to hunting. And it might mean that there are some boys and girls who do a little mixture of both of those. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with a person who likes, you know, a boy who likes to go hunting, but also likes to knit yeah. or likes to sew? You mm-hmm. know, there's, there's nothing, there should be nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But we have, we have so created these constructs that it's difficult for boys to break out of that. And that's not their responsibility. Yeah. to do they're they're not at the developmental stage where they can do that yeah it's our responsibility as adults mm-hmm. to mentor them and to to spend time pouring into their lives mm-hmm. so that they see role models who are you know modeling the kinds of things that, mm-hmm. that they would like to not living to do. just on that gender binary that we've created but yeah living into the spectrum where they're doing more of the things that may be seen as feminine or women are doing more things that are seen as masculine. Yeah. There's not, and the women is not like the outlier. Mm-hmm. They're it's the normal. Rule. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. that's just a normal thing that you do. And, yeah. and maybe, maybe we just need to do away with the term normal. Even. Yeah. Maybe we need to just say, this is who this person is mm-hmm. and you are different from that person and that yeah. is okay. Yeah. And they are different from the person down the street and that is okay. Mm-hmm. I think, so, I think some yeah. of that work needs to be like a, kind of what I was saying earlier, mm-hmm. uh, needs to be done in schools, kind of taking the, mm-hmm. uh, what, what the media fictionally portrays mm-hmm. as masculinity and femininity mm-hmm. and then how uh, schools take that and show that it's a spectrum and not this kind of binary. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, I think it needs to happen in schools. It needs to happen in, in, in groups like scouting groups and those mm-hmm. kind of things. It needs to happen in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not ideal for every kid because every yeah. kid's not going to have a home where that's going to happen. So mm-hmm. yeah, we do need it in, in the public as well. But mm-hmm. you know, it, this would make a, a really great, Podcast. If we could say, yeah, I was one of those jock kids yeah. uh, when I grew up, and now I'm I've I've changed and I've deconstructed my masculinity. Mm-hmm. But I was one of the kids who got picked on. Yeah, and you know, I was one of the ones who was kind of on the edge and and seen as weird and and being too effeminate, and I was called all those kinds of names. But mm-hmm. in the end, I think that what saved me was those mentors who were significant in my life. I think of my my scout scout leaders, mm-hmm. my youth group leaders, pastors, significant adults and I think mm-hmm. there's not enough significant adults in children's lives, particularly boys mm-hmm. today for them to be modeling this kind of behavior. When there are significant adults in the, in boys' lives, they're often coaches mm-hmm. or hypermasculine men mm-hmm. who um perpetuate this violent kind of image of of masculinity Mm -hmm. but that means it's incumbent upon people like me and like you and Mm -hmm. like others who who are discovering these kinds of truths to go out and be mentors to those young people to kind of be that that presence and so you know I don't hide things (laughs) like the fact that I like to knit Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very open my son knows that his friends all know that in fact some of his friends and my daughter's friends think it's cool that they have a dad who knits Mm -hmm. you know I think that has a significant impact on the children 
not just my own, but the children around me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't hide the fact that I'm uh, that I also like to go out and fish, mm-hmm. and and there are some typically masculine things that I like to do as well. And so mm-hmm. I think that's where it's incumbent upon us to begin to make those kinds of changes. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, I mean, we're coming to the end of our time, mm-hmm. so this is definitely something we'll talk about um, in the, the next mm-hmm. part, but uh, I think that although it may seem like the work needs to be done in children, it also needs to be done in adults mm-hmm. so that they that adults can feel more able to uh, show more of that uh, mm-hmm. spectrum of gender rather than the binary. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I, again, want to throw out that in the masculine end, there is a jock who... Uh, in his high school years really lived into that jock role and then realized that there was a part of him that he was missing out on. Mm -hmm. And so in college, uh, he went into theater and, like, his family kind of wasn't okay with it, but, like, in the end he was like, it is what it is. Uh, He Mm -hmm. played someone who was transgender in the theater and it was seen weird for him to, even though he was relatively masculine as himself, for him Mm -hmm. to even play someone who was on the spectrum Mm -hmm. was a big deal. So I definitely think this is something we'll talk about the next time, but um, I think this is a good place to end uh, to just say that there's work to do and (laughs) we we need to start doing it. So um, next time we'll just kind of go into uh, what kind of solutions that we can see um, need to start being worked on Mm -hmm. in the schools and with fathers and uh, stuff like that. So thank you for listening to us and, uh, Yeah, we'll see you next time.